have a creative soul, but you're not sure how to express yourself, well then, this is the podcast for you. I'm Marianne Slater, visual artist, author, photographer, flower faffer, business owner, and a woman on a mission to bring everyone's creativity to life. I'm talking to some of the most creative people I know, asking them where their creativity comes from, how it shows up for them in all aspects of their lives, and hopefully inspiring you to find your own creative cure along the way. Today, my guest is fellow Sheffield inhabitant Daisy Lee Overton. Daisy is a jewellery designer and maker who specialises in hosting creative workshops, enabling her clients to create one-off, bespoke, memorable pieces. Her most popular workshops are for couples wanting to craft their own rings for weddings, celebrations and various milestones in their lives. Sounds pretty special, right? I've talked at length with previous guests about studying art at school and how we haven't always felt we're deemed very good at it. And I thought, as well as delving a little into Daisy's own creative practice, that hearing about her journey to becoming a teacher and how she tries to encourage her students within the boundaries of a curriculum would be a fascinating crossover. Daisy and I met through mutual friends and we immediately bonded over our love of the creative life and running our own businesses. Daisy has freelanced for me before and we've both attended each other's workshops. I think it's safe to say that we both get each other. So welcome for the second time to the podcast, Daisy. Thank you for joining me again. Um, For a little context, this is the second time Daisy has recorded this podcast because technology uh, got the better of of me, didn't it? Um, So Daisy has already done this beautifully and it all had to go in the bin. So I feel I'm, like is it a gift and a curse? Um, also, I should say hi, Maz. Hi. Thanks for having me That's again. Okay. Um, do you know what? It was flipping lovely last time, and maybe it wasn't meant to be, and we get to do it all over again now. So yeah. thank you. I yeah I um I had to record a podcast again with somebody that it hadn't worked out the first time, mm-hmm. and the second take was way better. So oh, well, there you go. You know. If we can well, improve on perfection, yeah, yes. yeah. then we will. We um, shall not try. So today we're actually at uh, Daisy's studio in the centre of Sheffield. Um, we're in their meeting room. So if you can hear any banging, it's probably someone in the studio above whacking some metal. Yeah. Um, but it's just lovely to be in a creative space talking about creativity surrounded by creative people. And it's snowing outside. It is snowing. It's so warm in here. I feel so incredibly lucky to be somebody who says my workshop is really warm. Oh, that's true. I know, smug. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's a bit echoey in the meeting room and there might be some crafters noises in the background at some point, but... But crafters aren't quiet. Yeah, we're in a maker's world. We're so. in a maker's world. We're in a loud, loud yeah. maker's world. We're in a maker's um, so, Daisy, you are a jewellery designer and maker. Um, you're also a secondary school teacher. Um, I guess without <laughs> saying how long is a piece of string, how long, like, how did you get to this point? I guess some background. Yeah. What did you do at school? What did you do at university? Yeah, let's get stuck in, I guess. Um, so it's that funny thing, isn't it? I feel like I'm at a point in my life now where I've probably got what you would class as a portfolio career. And I remember um, hearing a speaker, I can't remember if it was at an event or something, and they were talking about their portfolio career. And I thought, oh, I don't really know what one of those is. That doesn't sound very inviting, doing bits of this and bits of that. And then here I am being the jeweller and getting into silversmithing and teaching art and teaching jewellery classes. And 
everything else that goes in between. So, um, yeah, where did it all begin? Um, so we should probably say, actually, you and I went to the same school. Yes. Um, we, yeah. have, we've, uh, we have a very similar uh, journey background up to mm. a point, don't we? Because we went to the same secondary school, took a lot of the same subjects, um, then both went to do a foundation course at the same place, but we were about three or four years apart. I think so, yeah. So, so we've we've not we, did, we didn't do any of that um, together, but we, we did... It, I did it. Yeah. I did it first. No, I, um, <laughs> I copied you. Yeah, of course. I just wanted to be maths. <laughs> well, who wouldn't? Um, no, we. Uh, yeah. So I. I went through the school system the same way as you, and then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's just. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when you talk about your art lessons, or you're talking about specific like art teachers or things that you were taught, I can really picture that because I know exactly what the room you were doing in, and I know who that teacher was. So it gives um, just to give a bit of context. Yeah, but, it gives it like chapter and verse for both yeah, of us when we chat. Yeah. Um, so starting off, I guess so let's start at the beginning. Um, I've always loved being creative, and in fact. My earliest memories of kind of engaging with craft or with making were actually in primary school. I had the most amazing primary school teacher in year three, and she was massively into arts and crafts, and she would teach us to sew, and I'm sure we did clay work with her, and she just, she'd dedicate whole days of our school day to art and design. Um, so that was probably the initial spark that kind of got me in, um, in the creative zone. Um, but yeah, skipping forward to, um, A-levels, so obviously that's a really pinnacle time for a lot of people, isn't it? That's the point where you have to make decisions about what it is that you want to study in more detail. So um, I chose art and design, textiles, um, English language and business studies, and I did an AS in photography as well, which I think, did you, you did yeah. as well, didn't you? Yeah, yeah I, did, um, um, I did art, textiles an English lit for A-levels, but I did an AS level in photography alongside my A-levels. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we had really similar starting points. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's quite interesting because we come out, obviously, both really passionate about making and being creative and have that real connection with other creatives, but we have manifested it in different ways completely, which, yeah, um, yeah it's cool, isn't it? And I guess it's one of the things that you're exploring on this podcast is how everybody interprets their creativity differently and follows a different path. Yeah, and what um, outcomes those those different avenues sort of... Yeah, yeah. can lead to. Can lead yeah, to. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, so, yeah, those were the A-levels that I did, and uh, following on from that, I went to Chesterfield College, as you said, um, and it was really there that I got into metalworking. So... Uh, Mark Beavers, who, um, again, you know because he taught you, and he's an amazing (laughs) man. Um, Yeah, he really was passionate about uh, the work that I was doing at Chesterfield College. So um, the foundation course, I think uh, it's probably worth just giving a bit of flavour to. Like, It's a year-long course, isn't it, um, post-school, and you get to try lots of different um, art mediums. So we did fashion, we did textiles, we did photography, graphics, fine art clay work, metal work, um, yeah, loads of different stuff, and then you get to choose your specialism. Um, so I chose to specialise in, I think it was called applied arts then, so I did ceramics and metal work, but metal work was the thing that I really connected with and engaged with. Um, and actually now when I'm working with it, I feel 
more of an affinity with the material the more I work with it and you know you really get to know it like it would be the same with you with the flowers you know what they're capable of you know that you how far you can push a design and um yeah but metal is metal's my love metal's your <laughs> friend um and I found that out at Chesterfield College um yeah Mark Vivas was amazing he was really into the project that I was doing he taught me how to solder and um, I remember making uh, like what I would now consider a fairly not basic but simple in terms of the techniques um chain and it was really lovely um but he was super excited that I'd made it and it was all made in copper because obviously couldn't afford silver at that age um but he loved it so much he was like oh would you like me to go and get it silver plated for you so you can see what it would look like in silver and he took it and took it to Sheffield with him got it plated and it came back to me two weeks later looking like an actual piece of jewellery and I don't know, it's that somebody else's belief in you, isn't it, sometimes, mm. that just gives you that motivation to follow that path and, and go, down that, go down that road. So, yeah, it was with his support that I applied to Birmingham University, um, to the School of Jewellery. He was really, really keen for me to go there, um, to there or Sheffield, because those were the two universities kind of outside of London that would offer a specifically jewellery and silversmithing course at that time. Um, and for me, I was like... I've grown up in the Peak District. I know Sheffield pretty well. And it was at a time in my life where I, I wanted to get away. I wanted to meet new people. I wanted to be in a new place. And, I mean, I imagine most of us can relate to that feeling of just wanting to go and explore a bit, don't you? And When you're a student and... Well, no. When you're about to be a university student, mm. you want you want to tread new ground and meet new people and have the experiences yeah. and live on live, live away from mum and dad yeah and be far enough away that they have to book to come and see you yeah <laughs> that's true that was I think <laughs> something that was very much in my mind at that time um anyway I'm really glad that that's how it happened because I got to go to Birmingham I got to study at one of the like most prestigious schools for jewellery and silversmithing I think in the world um yeah which was amazing and in the heart of the Birmingham Jewelry Quarter, we had Cookson's um, uh, Trade Counter, which is their metalwork suppliers and jewellery tools uh, suppliers, across the road from the school. So, you know, if we needed anything or we just needed to go and pick something up, you just cross the road and, and you could get what you needed. Um, so, yeah, we're very, very fortunate in that respect. Um, yeah, so I did three years there, um, which is also where I met Fran, who maybe we can get her on a podcast at some point. I'm trying, Daisy. <laughs> um, but yeah, Fran. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> I mentioned Fran now because um, we now she's actually the, share a studio together. She's probably making all the noise and she's probably right the now. one that you can hear hammering in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, it was a really good experience being at uni. Um, I think, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm just remembering what we spoke about last time really and in the different modules that I had at uni and how they highlighted my love of metal because... I, I think, yeah, we talked yeah. a lot about which areas you felt developed your your own personal practice mm. more and it was definitely that first year, first year's love of the material and learning all the different yeah. ways you can work with the material whereas in, you said that second year turned a bit more abstract for well, you. Well, it was like that. We were talking about concept, weren't we? So yeah. they pitched it as like a more conceptual design-based year. And I feel like we've talked about this previously, like this idea of having a concept 
when I was a student and in that time, I would have said, I'm not conceptual, I don't really connect with concept-based artwork. But actually now that I'm, I don't know, is it maturity, older experience, whatever it is, but where I'm at now and I reflect on that, I think your concept is essentially your idea. So we, as creatives, we all have ideas. So it's just, the, yeah. Um, I don't know if, when I try and explain to somebody what a conceptual artist is, mm. um, because I think a lot of people think very modern art is just conceptual art, yeah. but actually a concept artist is just somebody who has the idea and they don't necessarily craft all the parts for that idea. In so many respects we are all conceptual artists because that's what creativity is an idea that has yeah. been brought to life and we are the people with the ideas but we are the craftspeople as well and that's a very interesting thing I learned at university was this argument between craft and art. Yeah, what and do you identify as? And what's a, yeah. Is it, I don't know, like, I feel f for, for myself, and, and I know, um, like, Fran, for example, like, we've had conversations about this, what do you identify as in terms of um, your maker's title or your artist's title? Um, and it's been quite a big conversation, actually, from university until kind of the last few years where I feel... For me, I, I definitely feel settled as jeweler, silversmith, teacher, mm -hmm. um, or teacher, jeweler, silversmith. It doesn't matter to me what order that comes no. in, so long as they are all there, that's fine. But yeah, speaking to other makers, they know there's been like a real kind of a real thought that's gone into what do I title myself? Because what image do I want people to perceive me as? And it's yeah, do you call yourself a conceptual artist or do you call yourself? A metal smith? Are you a silversmith? Are you a jeweler? Are you a three-dimensional artist? Are you a florist? Are you, a, you know, there's so many words. Words, yeah. And actually, just because you've chosen that one word doesn't mean you have to stick with it either. Yeah, I think the yeah. sort of, um, it's just, yeah, it's a really interesting point about semantics and what a word brings to mind when you say it. Mm. And if you. You know, if you said like a, a woodworker, that's maybe someone who like, I don't know, turns table legs or something, rather than like a wood sculptor, someone who makes yeah. really sculptural pieces. It's just really yeah. interesting the the connotation of a of a label. And we yeah, we label yeah. ourselves. So like you saying second year was more concept driven. I don't think you're meaning that they asked you to have ideas and not make the things, mm. but they were trying to feed the fire of the ideas with some more out there type... Yeah, it's the getting you out of the box kind of yeah. thing, isn't it? And, and actually, you know, I didn't love those projects at the time, but I still value them because I know that they taught me a lot. They taught me a lot of lessons. They enabled me to develop my problem-solving skills and they've, um, yeah, I did, like just making you think about things in different ways and they also taught me that the concept isn't necessarily at the heart of what I do, it's the interaction with the materials that is important to me, um, yeah. It's when you get that, um, when you sit down for your briefing for your new project and they give you the starting point yeah. and your heart sinks, Yeah. that's that feeling, isn't it? You're like, 
I'm never going to be able to make I am anything. so uninspired by this word. What yeah. am I going to do? Yeah. yeah, and that's yeah, that's a really funny feeling. But then when you're let out into the real world on your own, you've got to think of those things yourself. I think that's a really hard place to be. Like I've I've spoken to you about this before, and I've said like Daisy, now you're an art teacher. Can you just like give me a GCSE art project to do so I <laughs> yeah. know what my starting point is. you need some boundaries sometimes, yeah. don't you? Mm. Even if they're there to then be broken down and, like, discarded. You, yeah. It's yeah. having that just... This is the path that I want you to follow. And yeah. you kind of... Even if it's there and then you go, I don't want to follow that path anymore. Like... That gives you... you have, that is a boundary in itself. Yeah. It's is your it, own personal... Is it that you have to preference. have something to make a decision on because if there's nothing there you can't make a decision I don't know like, and that's mm, I like that yeah. that's a, yeah that's so true though and I guess the same with me at university they those challenges like you're saying in the second year things that they're bringing to you as these starting points as these concepts and you're not set on fire by them you it's it, it can turn into quite uh, without the retrospect of being a you know now we're practicing artist and realizing how much that taught you yeah. at the time you're like i don't want to do this I, d- I don't want you know and you can't necessarily see the point of them doing it either you don't have that um you know if it's if it's a journey or an experience that you've not been through before all you can do is just commit to it and trust that your tutors are uh, they know what they're doing and they're doing it for a reason because you can't you've not yeah, you don't have the beauty of hindsight at that point, do you? Yeah. So you can't really see maybe necessarily why they're showing you that. But yeah, I think the university was a really interesting time for me because, as you say, the first year we did loads of like technical metalworking stuff. We learned how to make our own tools. We did some um, raising, which is when you hammer from a flat sheet. And um, yeah, we did like... Um, a crown for a rat, which was essentially like a making a, a crown for a rat. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it was really cute. Um, it was basically a ring, but the one that was too big to fit on your finger. So you had to, <laughs> had to think a little bit more about the design of it because you had more metal to work with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, university. Um, I'm just thinking back to the question because obviously we're going down a journey here. Are we following it? Am I going off on a tangent? I don't know. Yes, you are. <laughs> but it's fine. A good um, tangent. No, I think, because uh, there's a lot of things you've been saying that I want to circle back to. So I think mm. just carry on speaking about, the, you know, Yeah, the continue next with bit. the journey. Continue yeah. with the journey, but then there's things I want to yeah. pick up on. Cause I'm just... Yeah, fair. Um, yeah, so university, I... Do you know what? I absolutely loved first year, and I did really well, and I got some of my best grades, and turns out they probably didn't count towards my overall grade because that was only third year, but it was awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, by the time I got to third year, the School of Jewellery was this, like, it's an amazing place, but it's also quite a small building. And when you've been there for three years and you've spent the last four months of the course in this really intensive workshop space where there's like all of your peers um, are kind of obsessed by the deadline that's coming up and getting really stressed out by it I was just kind of I don't know I think I basically I'd kind of checked out of it and I was like right I've enjoyed my time here but I 
at the point of leaving university, I was kind of feeling like, oh, I'm really sick of, I feel like, I feel awful saying this now, but I felt like I'm sick of jewellery, I'm done with this, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to go travelling. So got myself a job, saved up, went travelling. But actually, you know, whilst I was doing that, I was still making, I still had a bench in my room, I was still mucking around with ideas, and I was still picking up stuff. And I definitely wasn't doing it as a full-time thing or really kind of committed to it, but I still couldn't quite leave it alone. So although I say I was sick of it and I felt like I'd had enough of it, I also feel like I'm lying when I say that because... (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely still, it was still there alongside me the whole way. And even when I was traveling, I was taking photographs of things, thinking this is going to be a project when I get back. I know I'm going to turn this into a project. Um, One thing I feel like uh, I should give major credit to as well is when I left uni, I mean, again, you'll relate to this because we grew up in the same area, the Peak District. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody's business. Um, so I, I was really lucky in that I came home from university, I decided to move back in with my parents so that I could save some money um, and pay off my student debts because I'd been out partying too much. Um, <laughs> and uh, and um, there was a local jeweller, Ralph Weston, who um, would go to the pub that I used to work in and for whatever reason he yeah, he bumped into my parents and they said, oh... Ralph has got he's setting up a shop and he's going to have bench spaces in there and he really wants you to go and use the bench space so that you can have somewhere to work for your jewelry. So I was like, oh, "Okay, yeah. That sounds all right. That sounds kind of, you know, he was offering me this bench space for free and in exchange I would maybe work a day or so in the shop every now and then." So it was a pretty good deal. I felt like it was it was amazing to have that support actually because what, knowing what I know now, like setting up my own space, the amount that you have to spend on equipment, the time that it takes to actually get the space how you want it and have those connections with suppliers and other people in the industry to help the whole thing work, like that was kind of just being handed to me. And so, yeah, I really, I really am very, very grateful to Ralph for giving me the opportunity and really, he really helped me to develop my practice as well. You know, he introduced me to casters in Sheffield, which Casting's now a large component of the um, collection that I make. Like that's a really effective way for me to be able to manage teaching and uh, silversmithing and jewelry making because I'm able to outsource some of the elements of what I do. Um, and also, in that workspace um, was also Andrew Sutherland, who again a key component of where of how I've got to where I am now. He introduced me to the starter studio space at Yorkshire Art Space, which I think is actually being rebranded now. So if anybody was interested in it, it's actually called Silver Space now. Oh, um, I didn't know. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. relaunching it this year, which would be really cool. Um, yeah, so he is, again, like this amazing jeweller. He's really technically excellent. Um, coming from more of a silversmithing background, actually. Um, and I should probably say, like, silversmithing is more kind of uh, larger scale stuff, um, things like vases and uh, like vessels and containers and um, I'm thinking like forks and spoons and stuff but that's not, that's flatware which is again a whole other area itself. Um, yeah, silver's mean like candlesticks and it's essentially like working on a larger... Wear. Yes, thank yeah. you Maz. Yes, thank so you. <laughs> you are here for the words. Yes, I, I appreciate words. that. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so Drew came from, from that kind of background, but he'd been through the starter programme um, and introduced me to Yorkshire Art Space and to the starter programme. And essentially, like, that's what got me to being in this building today. It's got me to where I am today. So, um, yeah, thank you to him for that as well. Um, yeah, but the silver space was amazing. So I had that set up before I went travelling. I knew I was going to come back to a workspace in Sheffield. I was going to pick up my career in jewellery and silversmithing again. Um, so I could kind of go travelling with no strings attached. But, you know, as I say, when I'm out there, I was constantly kind of thinking about what inspiration I wanted to bring back into the studio with me. Um, and as it turns out, I didn't follow up on any of that. But uh, those pictures are there. still there, aren't they? They're always going to be there. I might revisit them at some point. My phone's full of photos of stuff that I think, ooh, that's a, that's mm. a painting or a whatever. And you just, they do just lie there, but they might come back round. Do you know what, as well? I think that experience of going travelling is probably one of the things that has pushed me more towards teaching as well because going to Cambodia and like this isn't like this I sort of was inspired in a way that I didn't see coming like I thought it was going to be taking photos that would lead into a project but actually when I look back on it I think went to Cambodia which is such a deprived poor country with no edu like very very little opportunity for people to be educated because of their history um, with the Khmer Rouge and the Pol Pot regime and, and I won't go into it if you want to look into it you can but it's pretty dark um, it, essentially Pol Pot um, killed off all of the kind of educators in the country so the country since having that regime in place has really struggled to pick itself back up and there's a lot of charities that do work over there to try and get the kids into education so that they've got people in their country that are then able to um, help it thrive um, and help build its economy back up and I think you know having that experience kind of reinstated in me how important education is and um, we've talked about this before, like we've kind of got our, our key values and our words that are at the centre of what we do for each of our businesses. And for me, one of the key words is community. And so it's that connection with people, it's being in Yorkshire art space with um, however many other makers are here, it's sharing a studio with Fran, but it's the education and the connection with people and the sharing of skills that has led me into doing my PGC and becoming uh, an art teacher. Yeah, so I think that's, like, all of the things you've said, you're, the, some of the key points, I've just been making some notes, mm -hmm. and it's just that you've learned for, from such great teachers yeah. that you want, you know how valuable that is, that you want to yeah. then... It's giving back, isn't it, yeah. in a way? Like some, yeah, I don't know. It's funny, you, you talk to some people and they, t they kind of say, oh, they've got so far in their career and now I feel like I need to give back. And I've kind of never approached it in that way. Like, I do feel like I'm giving something, but I don't, yeah. I think for you it's more that you, you, want, you never want to stop learning. I yeah. think you, you love learning something new yes. and you love knowing, you, you love finding something out and you love to then be part of that for somebody else. Yeah, it's that excitement of finding something out yeah. and then be like, I want to share this with everyone. Yeah. Maz knows me. She knows. Yeah, I do know you. <laughs> You're putting into words the things that I but it, can't. Yeah. It is, you know, if I, I'll, 
I've done some workshops with Daisy. I've made a couple of rings now mm. uh, at your bench, and you just come alive when you're doing that, and you can see, you don't you. I've I've learned I've learned to be a better teacher um, than I used to be because I'm a very like just give it here I want to do it you're not doing it right and you just have the patience and the joy when you can see I'm doing it right and I've I've got it you don't want to just grab it off me and make it right because I've messed it up yeah and that's really nice and that's a super skill that I think a lot of teachers don't appreciate about themselves like I. I am a good teacher for my <laughs> for my control issues. Um, you are. You're an excellent. No, I teacher. am a good teacher, um, but my yeah. my te- I've had to develop that in terms of like I'm trying to actually rather than teach, I'm trying to give people a space for their creativity to thrive rather yeah. than like a step by step because I find it very stressful when people are trying to copy me exactly mm. and then they're doing it not wrong they're just they're just really trying to copy me it's and like I, you know we're all about creativity and you want people to take the lead on it a little mm. bit don't you? you want them to have that space to, to make it unique make it theirs yeah yeah mm. and it's it's just a really hard line to to to, t- to tiptoe around yeah. when it's a technical thing versus a you know freedom of creativity and I think you've you've definitely nailed that but I guess thank you yes, thank you mm-hmm. um, but yeah I think that that's really good to it's like noticing those patterns in your past mm. as to why you've come to where you are. And sometimes you don't realise them until you've talked it through, but, like, you obviously felt that the teaching, and I did too, the teaching at the secondary school we went to in the art department was second to none. Mm. It was brilliant, it was attentive, it helped, you know, it helped me feel confident to pursue a creative career. Again, then I luckily went to Chesterfield College, where the teachers were second to none. Oh, they were amazing. The course was yeah. brilliant. That and, and I think we have been very lucky, and maybe not everybody has been so lucky. So I think if we talk about, A, were you good at art at uh, no, school? No, right? Yeah, in the technical sense of being good at art, and how do you think that's... Um, playing out now you are moulding the minds yourself yeah because unfortunately we don't have the podcast but the last time we had such a great conversation about this Mm. and I'd love to try and draw on those themes yeah have it again because it it really it was really informative and I think for a lot of people who have had a, a a less good relationship with their art teachers and their art education they blame that a lot for their lack of creativity mm. um whereas we were blessed with more encouragement than you could handle like yeah I, I there was never any doubt that i would go and do something creative because i was so encouraged at school i think you the same at school yeah. and at college um and i think a lot of people haven't had that 
and it'd just be really interesting because you, you've obviously got these students in front of you, but at mm. a very young age, and how do you, you know, yeah, how do you so, inspire them? Yeah, and it's, it's different for, <clears throat> obviously it's different for every student and every class because I'm teaching from age 11 to age 18, so it's a real span of, um, of everything, <laughs> of personalities, of maturity, uh, yeah, and... Do you know, it's funny, like, I quite often, now that I'm teaching, I try and um, work out which students I was. So, you know, when I'm teaching my students, I'm like, I wonder which one of those I was when I was that age. Like, who was I? Where did I fit? Um, But, yeah, at school, I don't know. I, I I still think now that probably I would not, to myself, anyway, I would say that I'm not technically good at art. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I would say that, and I don't. Maybe I haven't given much thought to that judgment, but it's like, what are you measuring it on? Because there's that saying, isn't there? If, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will always fail. And so, what are we judging ourselves on? What are we judging our students on? Um, and I think you know, to give a bit of context to. Um, what I'm teaching, I guess, it's probably good to, to talk a little bit about how we assess in school in art now, um, because I think it's really, really appropriate, and I really have a lot of um, time for the mark scheme, and I think the way that it's structured really helps students to develop um, not a final piece of work, but to develop a whole journey, and to, to it's about developing in yourself, isn't it? It's not about one piece of artwork that you did that was absolutely amazing. It's about showing where your ideas came from. It's about showing that you have um, explored the material that you're working in and and that actually you have chosen the material that's most appropriate to you at that time or to the subject that you're trying to capture. Um, And the the mark scheme at at GCSE and A-level very much follows that pattern. So there's four sections, just to give a brief outline, there's four sections. The first one is kind of uh, research and like experimentation and the part two um, builds on that. It's like, uh, sorry, experimenting, refining. Part three is recording. So how do you record your ideas? What materials are you going to choose? Um, what media are you going to do it in? Are you going to record in film? Are you going to use a pencil? Are you going to go and um, draw with a stick? Like your choice and then AO4 and this is the one that I have the most kind of difficulty with in the sense of teaching it's called the fourth section is response and so many students and teachers to be fair interpret that as a final outcome or a final piece and this is what we were touching on last time isn't it it's this idea of a final piece but how can you have a final piece when you're 16? You're at the start of your art career. Like, that's not the last piece of artwork that you will ever do. I can almost guarantee you that. So to call it a final piece is a ridiculous notion. And do you know what? The mark scheme doesn't even refer to it as that. They call it a response. And it's a response to the research, the experiments, the recording that you have done within the confines of that, of that um, project. And yet I still find myself, and I curse myself in my head every time I do it, referring to students' pieces as, like, their final piece. And it drives me insane. No, but it, that is, it's, it's, it's as though everything is geared towards making this 
you know, this masterpiece. I don't know. I think it. I think it has a connotation of perfection with it, doesn't it? It's like, okay, this is the final piece. This is the one that counts. It's got to be perfect. But perfect, like, perfect's quite boring, isn't it? Is perfect boring, or is it unachievable, or is it unattainable? Like. And also, where's the excitement? If you create something that's perfect, what are you going to do next? Where do you go from that? Yeah, well, perfect just doesn't... It doesn't... Well, it doesn't exist. I find that perfectionism for me shows up in the fact that I don't want to start because I'm so worried that I'm not going to meet the standard that yeah. I expect of myself. It physically and act- freezes you. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so that with... When it's, when it's for something like an A-level, which at the time you were told is the be-all and end-all of the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ha-ha. Um, but that freezes you, and you don't know what to... You don't know where to begin, and actually all the other stages that come before that, the development, and, and yes, having a pause point and a realisation of you know, uh, six weeks worth of mm. work is really helpful to find out where you are, but it shouldn't just then be put in a folder in a plan chest and never looked at again because mm. it's meant to inform the next part, yeah. the next project. And I think that's that's something that the, fi- the final piece monster used to just rear its head at me every mm. time I would... I would get tied up in knots from the, the the day I got the you know the starting point I would be trying to think of my final piece because I was so worried yeah. that I had to be this amazing final piece and we've we've spoke about this before but the whole almost backtracking not even doing yeah. the work not doing stages one two and three yeah. properly until I'd done the final piece doing the final piece and then picking that apart and thinking what do people want from me? Mm. What do I need to provide to prove that I've got to this final point? And doing it retrospectively. Doing, yeah, which, which is, is fine. Yes, gets you the marks for GCSE or for A-level. It might pick you up those marks. But doesn't but get you an art career. It, well, yeah, and does, does it enrich your understanding of what you're doing? Like, no. There's no point going backwards. But actually, if you don't start with that final piece in mind you will have a much richer experience and you will learn more about yourself and your style and you'll be more involved in your, um, in your concept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if you start at the beginning, you start with the first step and you don't know what path you're going to go down until you get to it. And it's funny that you say that because that's literally my, one of my main things when I do my workshops is that I do not create... I don't create... Say it's... Uh, a wreath or a bowl arrangement or whatever it is, I don't make one in front of my students. Mm-hmm. I don't do one. I start, I show them the technique, I start making and then I stop and I talk to them and we chat and we, I help, you know, I do help, but I don't make a, a final piece mm-hmm. because I know that, like I said before, they will just copy me. Mm. They will copy me flower for flower piece for piece what I'm doing and they are not on that journey they're not doing stages one two and three they're not looking at the selection of colors 
or shapes or what they really which using which yeah. identify with them what, what makes they them love happy. like oranges would be the colors that i would go for they make me happy vibrant i want some of them in there that's a little bit of me that i put in there yeah. and actually if you dictate that in front of them they just copy and they end up with exactly yeah. and it's funny that i can see that for other people but then when it was me and and even now in my you know my we call it an art practice. It's me worrying about things. But when we, when we talk about that, I, that's what I struggle with, is that I don't have this... I have this notion that I have to have a final piece in mind. And that's come from school. It has not... I'm not blaming, but it has come yeah. from a place where I was... You know, I was very academic. I did very well at school. I did very There's well so at art. There's so much pressure at that age, isn't there? Because you've got your parents watching you, you've got your teachers watching you to see who you're going to become, to see what path you're going to go on. And, and they want the best for you, don't they? They want you to be able to have those options at your fingertips to be able to go off and be whatever it is you want to be. But with that comes the pressure of, I've got to get these grades to be able to go to this college or this university or whatever. And especially if you're picking something as subjective as art mm. so it's not just being good at maths mm. being good at maths and getting an A at maths and then going to do maths at Oxford that's 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 facts and figures isn't it yeah there's and wrongs and, but being good at art and getting full marks at art and getting an A at art and going to a really good art college that's you feel I, I felt a lot more pressure because I'd not picked something academic that I then had to like overachieve at those things because I wasn't proving myself. Like to justify it almost. Yes. To say, well, I'm not going down the academic route and now I've got to over um, prove. Yeah, overdo it in the creative world to justify the fact that this is an alright decision and it's mad. Yeah. But the other thing as well, like as we're talking, oh gosh, I feel like there's so many things that as we're talking I'm like, oh, I'm such a hypocrite or I'm contradicting myself, but that's just human, isn't it? That's just being human. Because <laughs> things like we're talking about um, not starting with an outcome in mind. And yet I'm thinking, well, in my own practice, I'm a jeweler. And I chose jewellery as my medium because it has defined outcomes. <laughs> like you have a ring, you have to have something that you can wear. And you have a necklace that goes on a chain. And that's one of the things that I felt safe with, which is why I went into jewellery. So I'm very aware that we're... I'm, I feel like I'm contradicting my own practice in a way, but I also don't necessarily feel bad about that. Um, in art, when you're talking about the grades and things, you know, we talk about grades and we do give grades for art, but actually, if you're going to go down an artistic career, Chesterfield College takes you based on your portfolio, not based on your grades. My university took me based on the outcome of my foundation year, not my GCSE grades. So it sort of like matters. Obviously, it matters. You've got to produce the work, but it's not how the world but it's works. But not, it's not the grade that you need to produce. Mm. It's the, the the interest in the subject and the work. Yeah, the portfolio, the interest, the passion. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Pause for thought. Pause for thought. Lots of things <clears throat> thinking about. I feel like there's a lot of stuff going around in my head now. Mm. Um, yeah. But no, it's interesting 
uh, being on the flip side of it, being in school and teaching and trying to... There's, I feel like there's quite a few misconceptions that the artistic world has that we, in our art department anyway, really trying hard to dispel. So this idea of a final outcome, um, this idea that like your grade in art is the most important thing and ha- like quite often students will think of the like assessment as a checklist you know like you were saying earlier mm. you went back and kind of filled in the gaps and it's like you do it as a checklist but actually what are you getting out of that what's what's important to you it's is more more important that you engage with the process and you learn something about yourself and we've talked about this idea before haven't we of of this creative process like the human we're all machines and we take in this inspiration from the world and we process it and it comes out as our practice so yours might come out in your book or your podcast or your floristry and mine comes out maybe in my teaching or in in my in my work it's like the human is a conduit for the inspiration Mm. and that in itself is creativity I guess so um, I've spoken to a lot of past guests about the idea of realism as well. In when we, you know, when we were talking about um, like what what makes what makes a good school project and what 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 you think people remember from school. And I used to think that because I wasn't an amazing like sketcher, I couldn't draw a apple perfectly mm. oh the apple <laughs> the apple, <laughs> the apple. This, this. yeah and, and I, I was just wondering just you don't, not, you don't have to waffle on about it but just your your quick your take on that because I've mentioned it a lot of times in a lot of other podcasts yeah um, and that concept of like how you how being technically good at doing something doesn't define whether you're creative or not. No, and actually, you know, when I look at artworks, if I am looking at something that's like hyper-realism, I can appreciate it and I know how much work and skill's gone into it. And I'm kind of a little bit in awe of it, but it also, I feel a bit intimidated sometimes maybe, or a bit, yeah, like, I don't, my soul doesn't connect with it because it's not me, that's not my style. And so I don't, I don't um, aspire to teach students how to copy something perfectly. My take as an art teacher is to try and encourage students to be expressive, to take risks in their work, to make mistakes because that's where the learning is. And actually, I question them quite a lot on, you know, okay, you're going to do a copy of this artist's work or you're going to do a drawing of that apple and, and you're going to create it perfectly and it's going to look exactly as it does there but what are you adding to that by doing it what's the purpose of recreating something that already is is there a reason for doing that and if they have one great because that's my biggest question I think that's the biggest thing I do as a teacher and I think my students probably get so frustrated with me but why why are you doing it what's it for what is it giving you what are you learning from this so it's the why and the what that I constantly ask the students and I think those lessons that you learn when you're doing tasks like that are more important than 
the task itself. So I'm thinking for me, I had a teacher at school who wouldn't let me use the the colour, the paint colour black, because she said it didn't exist. It wasn't it it wasn't it was a it was a crutch that people mm. used to to mix darker colours and she wouldn't let me use it. And then and I used to hate her for that, but it's taught me how to mix colour. And mm-hmm. so I've got when I went on and did my still life um I think I did a qualification in it at college. Oh, you nice. do that. Oh yeah every Friday. Yeah every yeah, Friday. Um but we, we learn how to mix colours properly. Um Peter Knight, my te- my tutor, he we'd be like doing a it was just a it wasn't life drawing, it was still life, so it was like apples and it was oh, fruit yeah. and things. And and he'd be like, Well take your paintbrush up to that orange and put it next to it. Is that the colour of the orange? And I'd be like, Oh no and he's like, You just think that's orange. Mm. You you're not taking the time to look at it and it was all about and guess, observation. Yeah, and that's like that is one of the most fundamental skills that we are teaching as art teachers, I guess, is the no, you've looked at that shape once and then you've stuck your head down and you've drawn something on your page that you think looks like the thing in front of you. And, and yes, I don't like to teach realism, but it is really important to have those skills and observation. And I say to my students, you know, the human brain without training, I think, can only hold information for like three seconds at most. So unless we train ourselves and we exercise that muscle, and when we're drawing the apple, <laughs> the apple, <laughs> the forbidden apple that's in front of us, you do need to be looking up and looking at it every few seconds because you, your brain cannot possibly contain every contour of that apple, every shade, every tone, every element of colour. And because it thinks it knows what an apple looks like, it makes it up. Yeah. And then you don't get an accurate... I'm not mm. saying realism has to be accurate, but actually it just teaches you to observe the world, mm. observe... I just... Colour is one of my favourite things in the world now, mm. and I know it's because of those two teachers, yeah. because they showed me how to mix it properly and how to appreciate the tiny bit of blue in that pink that mm. makes it, like... <gasps> I love using, like, a navy blue instead of black to mix the colours because yep. you get such a rich tone. Yes, yeah. and there's, like, the, the, you know, you'd, you'd get the... You'd try and make a shadow out of just mixing the mm. colour you'd painted the thing in with black, and it just never worked. Yeah. And it's like that's not the shadow in itself is its own colour, yeah. and that's just a, you know. But I'd never, I'd never sit now and paint an orange. No, and so it's again kind of feeling like a bit of a hypocrite, or like we're talking crossed, not crossed wires, but kind of jumping over ourselves a bit because I think we both appreciate that skill in drawing from life and drawing something accurately and and there are lessons to be learned in trying to draw something accurately and it's hard to do unless Mm -hmm. you're practiced at it so you know for me now if I was to sit down and try and draw an orange or an apple or a cup of tea or whatever it might be there's only so much patience that I have for that drawing because I haven't trained myself to be that kind of an artist. Mm. I really, really love working expressively. I love working with charcoal. It moves around on the page. If you make a mistake, you can blend it in really easily. And I love the fluidity of that way of working. Um, but I think, you know, in school, it's about 
presenting, the same way it was for me at university, the tutors presenting you with opportunities to explore different ways of working so that if you are that student that loves to create something hyper-realistic, you've got the opportunity to embed those skills. If you're not that person and you're the person that loves working in clay and working with form, then you have that opportunity to explore that as well. One of my biggest pet peeves as a teacher and the thing that really pushes my buttons is when the students haven't picked up their pencil or their paintbrush or whatever tool it is that we're working with that lesson and they're sitting there not having a go and I go what's going on why aren't you like do you understand the instructions what do we need to do here how can I help you and they go oh but miss I can't do it I can't draw and I say to them you haven't tried how do you know what you can and can't do until you've put pen to paper, until you've had a go at making some marks on that paper? No, but I can't do it, miss. I can't draw. And I think, well, first of all, we've got to identify what you think is a good drawing. And are you talking about drawing with a pencil and drawing something really accurately? Or are you talking about picking up um, a stick and some coloured paint and expressing your feelings? by doing some movement drawings. They're completely different skills, and I can almost guarantee you, student, <laughs> that one of those ways of working will fit with your personality and will work with you. But until you pick up that pen, that pencil, that piece of chalk, that paintbrush, that clay, that piece of metal, that hammer, and have a go, you won't know which one resonates with you. Mm. I think that's the whole, this word, that I've struggled with for many years is is having a practice, mm. being a practicing artist, and I'm like, what does that mean, practicing? Yeah, am I practicing my the flute? Like, <laughs> but you are. But it is. You, yeah, you've got to you've got to warm up before you sketch. You've got to do a million sketchbook mistakes. You've got to find out how you like. Do you like a, a, a wet page and watercolour? Do you like a dry page and watercolour? Do you like thick brushes, thin brushes, yeah. pencil, charcoal? Like all of those things that you will never stop learning about yourself, even when you do start to hone in on what the practice is and what you like more. Oh, yeah, once you've chosen your me medium, medium material, <laughs> then you've opened up a whole other world of questions exactly. and explorations. Exactly, you? yeah. And that, I think that's a perfect... That's just a perfect way to like explain creativity, I mm -hmm. guess, is that pra it's, got, it's practice, you've got to practice creativity, otherwise yeah. you'll never know what it is that sparks you, you'll never know. It drives me mad when people, like again, <laughs> the thing, saying I can't draw, or people say, oh I'm not creative, oh, yeah, <laughs> you just think, no you're wrong, first of all I think, well you're wrong aren't you, <laughs> and then I think you've got to understand what is creative and cre being to me it's taken me a while I think to actually understand you know all of my life people have gone oh you're so creative and I think oh, I don't really know what they mean I don't really get that I don't know what it is but actually more recently I've decided being a creative is quite simply you're somebody who creates something so whether you create an idea or you create 
dinner for yourself or you create a home to live in or I don't like there's so many ways that you can create things and as humans we all create something all of the time Mm -hmm. it's just having the ability to recognize that isn't it and so when somebody says to me oh I'm not very creative or oh I could never I could never do anything like that because I'm not creative I haven't got a creative bone in my body I just think it's a really closed-minded attitude and actually it makes me want to kind of work with those people and say no let, let me show you let me open your mind up let me show you that actually again it's this thing that I was saying about the students like actually if you pick up a pencil and you've got a page and you just spend five minutes just doing something with that you've started you've already created something and it's it's that simple at an entry level isn't it yeah like yeah it's, it's up to you how far you want to go with that and to give yourself the space and the time to bother oh yeah oh that's big lessons that we've learned isn't it oh, that yes. there <laughs> yeah yeah time um, and space in terms of your your practice now then you obviously have your space here you do your you host workshops here in your studio um you teach part-time um and I know you also do your workshops at, where is it? <laughs> so, so I, yes, I do evening classes um, for adult jewellery and metalworking um, at Aberdale Industrial Hamlet with Studio Budgie Galore. So I work freelance um, for Jules, who runs that business. Um, so yeah, we do evening classes um, on a weekly basis. And then she has all sorts of amazing one-day workshops as well. Um, yeah, so, so really, always wanting to have a go at uh, picking up a hammer. <laughs> so really, you span like an entire career. <laughs> well, you do have education. You know, you've got them yeah. from eleven. Then you've got people who have decided after after all their education, probably most likely, that they'd like to come and have a go at something. So they're coming to Studio Budgie yeah. Galore and doing those. You've also got people coming to your workshop to learn like a skill for like a one-off you know ring making or whatever um and that's just that's just like quite a lot of people to be imparting wisdom on yeah I think again like when I decided to actually get into teaching officially so I've been teaching the jewelry classes for I think five or six years now Mm. um but it was only this year or sorry I should say last year last September that I've started teaching um art at secondary level and I think you know being in Yorkshire art space and being the maker that I am and having come on the journey that I've come on I think I want other people to know that that's an option for them Mm. and so it was important for me to you know we talked about how about about my passion for kind of sharing my knowledge and and teaching it felt like a natural fit to go into teaching but you know for the future of uh, Sheffield's heritage, like Sheffield's heritage in steel and metalwork, is really fundamental in what I do today, and I want to see that have a future as well. And the future is in these young people. And if I can be a person who um, introduces them to metalwork, or inspires them to pick up a paintbrush, or um, inspires them to think outside of the box at that young age, and and I can connect them with these artists here in the studio and with the artists in Sheffield, or you know show them the options that they've got for their future that's really exciting to me and I think something that we did we haven't haven't said this time but we did last time 
um, just to finish, I think to, to finish everything off, is that I wish at school I had got to know my art teachers mm. on and know what they do mm. because what you're saying there is you're going to bring all of your wealth of experience and put it in front of those children and send them to Chesterfield College to get the best, <laughs> the best next you education. Will do this. <laughs> yeah, but to, but to give them those things and I think if I'd have known more about the the art practice of my tutors of my mm. school teachers I would have felt a lot not that they didn't inspire me but I would have felt like oh you're not just a teacher mm. you have you've had a career or you do have a career alongside this and I think that's that's such an important thing to to give children young yeah. adults this sort of view of you don't just have to go and get the nine to five yeah. and maybe do a bit of creativity on your yeah. days off or whatever I think, you know that's that's what we see a lot of in a way as students don't or as, as children you know you're surrounded by teachers who are fantastic people but they are a nine well they're not nine to five but they, they're a, a regular oh, what's the word it's a salaried like. job it's a salaried job and you um go to the doctors so you know that the doctors is a profession you might have a pet and you go to the vets so you know that's a profession and you have exposure of those kind of salaried roles and you know we've spoken about this before where I now feel like I'm kind of living in a creative bubble and it's amazing and I love it and I know so many interesting people who have followed their own path and taken risks and and built themselves not just a career but a lifestyle and it's almost those people or the students aren't being exposed to those people or those job roles so they don't know they exist. So I don't know about you, but when you leave um, school, you know you want to do something creative, but it's an unknown world, and it feels quite daunting, and you don't really know what you're heading for or what you're aiming for. And again, it's that idea of the final outcome, and it doesn't kind of matter what you're aiming for, but you want to have options. Or if you want to visualise a life for yourself, you need to know what choices there are for those different visuals I think yeah. that was the thing I, even at, at university I felt like it was be a practicing artist or nothing there mm. was no there was no sort of traversing different areas you know marketing or interiors or writing or it was it was always just you will go you will have a studio you will make art you will sell it to the Saatchi gallery and you will if you don't you have failed like yeah. and, I, and I guess I didn't love university <laughs> for maybe that reason, but it didn't prepare me for the creative world and the multitude of different creative opportunities that there are out there. And these, like you say, like we started with, portfolio careers. Mm. I have a portfolio career. Yeah. I would, when I first heard that phrase, I was like, Pah, what? Because it's so abstract, isn't it's so it? Abstract. You don't understand what it is. And then actually when you start doing it, you're like, do you know what? This is cool. It's not... It's not that we've got portfolio careers, it's that we're not defined by one role. Like, we haven't become a doctor and that is it. Yeah. Like, we've experienced and we, we are... keep building on that and expanding it and changing direction and, and keep it exciting for ourselves. Which, yeah, yeah, we're multi-hyphen people. You'll have to, um, have to invite, like, everybody from your short space to talk to your kids and give yeah, them, like, a, I would love that. a talking to. <laughs> I'm working like, on it. I'm working I've only on been it. in the job six months, but yeah. I'm working on it. Daisy will make it happen. If anyone will, it's Daisy. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, thank you so much. That's a perfect, like, 
round off Thank to the whole thing. Thank you for having me. It's um, an absolute pleasure to just be chatting with you. Wh- where can where can people find you? Where can people come to your workshops? Yeah. How so do we get a bit of Daisy in our lives? Um, the best point of contact is probably my website, um, www.daisyleejewels.com. Um, and on there is access to everything else, pretty much. Um, but yeah, as I say, I also work for Jules at Studio Budget Galore. And she has a great website with lots of workshop opportunities. Um, I'm on the Yorkshire Art Space page, which, you know, if you were looking for artists in Sheffield, the whole directory of, I think there's 170 of us in total, um, is on there. So great spot for a bit of Christmas shopping. <laughs> Not that it's anywhere near Christmas. Nope, but um, yeah, <laughs> we'll get that. And then <laughs> Instagram, uh, Daisy Lee Jewels. Yeah, I think that's, that's enough bases, isn't it? <laughs> yep. Enough places to find good old Daisy. Um, thank you for doing this again. <laughs> this this has recorded. Woo-hoo! It's definitely worked. I can see that it's worked. Um, so. Oh, so I won't be back again. No. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe series two if I get that far. Yeah, we'll see what the demand is. Yeah. For me, I mean, <laughs> like I know there's going to be a demand for you. I'm already hooked. Oh, so. That's so funny. Yeah. Um. Thank you, Daisy. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Creative Cure. I'm so glad to have you here for my rambling creative chats. I think we can all agree that if we'd had Daisy as our art teacher at school, we might have felt a lot more empowered to carve out a life of being creative. Next time, I'm joined by Lauren Barber, a visual storyteller and brand photographer, and we have a fantastic chat about progress and learning from our mistakes. I'll hopefully see you there and don't forget to subscribe so you get notified when a new episode is out. Bye for now.